Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's May 25th, 2018, and that means there's seven months left until Christmas. Today, we're going to solve a mystery that's always baffled me. How did St. Nicholas become Santa Claus? We'll also count down the most delightful Christmas plants, send you on an off-season eggnog scavenger hunt, decide who sang Children Go Where I Send Thee Best, prepare for Leon Day, and write our own Christmas TV movie. That's a lot to do when we're running late, so let's start the show. Season's greetings and season's salutations, one and all. Welcome to the show. I'm Tim Babb, your comical Christmas concierge, and I have to apologize that the show may be running a little late this month. And if I sound different, it's because this is what I sound like without an appendix. I had to have surgery while I was on vacation up in Washington State, and after that, I wasn't allowed to fly home. But now, I'm back in the Christmas cave and ready to commence with the merrymaking. I did want to give a special shout-out to the folks at Jefferson Healthcare in Port Townsend, Washington, who fixed me up and treated me so well. And of course, I got to thank my family, especially my wife who had to take the boys back home by herself while I was recovering, my grandma, aunt, and cousins who let us stay with them while I was recovering, and of course, my mom who shoved me around everywhere and took care of me and got me home safe. And all of you listeners who've been writing in, sending messages of support on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email. Uh, the Skywriter was a bit much, but it's definitely appreciated. Thank you so much. You're all on my super duper nice list this year. But this isn't the appendix cast, it's the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. And after leaving my appendix in a whole other state, I need a little Christmas. Now. We need a This tip actually comes from Facebook listener Miles. He posted a picture of some refreshing looking eggnog and wrote, Tim, I know that you don't like eggnog, but I thought this was a good post for the Need a Little Christmas Now segment. I found this eggnog this evening at my local Walmart. They had several quarts of the stuff, and I know that it's fresh because they didn't have any last week, and it has an expiration date of July 19th. I couldn't pass it up. I just had to have some. Perhaps Walmart is ramping up for the Hallmark Channel Christmas Movies event that is supposed to start in late June? That's a solid theory, Miles, and a fun Christmas activity. I don't know if Miles wants it publicly known where he lives, so I'll just generally say the east coast of the United States. So I don't know if this spontaneous eggnog is limited to Miles' area or if everyone has a chance to purchase some eggnog in May. But if you're so inclined, run on down to your local Walmart and see if they can nog you up. See if they can what? Nog you up. Nog. Like eggnog. Oh. Okay, then. I don't even want to know what you thought I said, imaginary listener that sounds like Kermit the Frog, but I bet we all want to know what the next segment is. Well, actually... It's Five Golden Things. Five So this will be our last episode of the spring for this year. And with all the trees and plants in full bloom around me, I thought it might be a good time to reflect on the top five plants of Christmas, starting with... Number five. Mistletoe. Oh yeah, the most romantic Christmas plant. As in, plant a kiss on me, baby. <laughs> Bear in mind that mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Isn't that from Batman Returns? Doesn't make it not true, baby. 
Number four. Poinsettia. These are everywhere during Christmas. This plant is native to Mexico and is part of the Spurge family of plants, which is a name that could not sound less Christmassy. I assume that's why they are named after Joel Roberts Poinsett, the first United States minister to Mexico. Number three. Holly. You can't have a holly jolly Christmas without holly. European holly is often referred to by the name Christ's thorn. Holly is seen as a symbol of Jesus. In fact, in the carol The Holly and the Ivy, the holly is representing Jesus and the ivy is representing Mary. Bet you didn't know that. Everyone knows that. Well, I didn't know it and I'm part of everyone, so not everyone knows that. Number two. Wreath. So technically a wreath is not a plant, since wreaths don't like grow out of the ground or on trees, but it's made of plants, so I think it counts. These days, they come in all sizes and colors, but my favorites are still the green ones, made with some colored lights on them, like the one directly behind my head at this moment. Honorable mentions! The Hanukkah bush. Now, it's not technically a Christmas plant, but I thought it deserves a spot on this list since it's actually out at the same time. I don't know how many Jewish listeners this Christmas podcast has, but if there are any out there, shalom! Then I wanted to mention the Christmas cactus. I didn't even know this was a thing until my mom told me about it. In addition to taking care of me while I was recovering from surgery, she also helped write part of this week's show. Best mom ever! So I looked up the Christmas cactus on Wikipedia, and it turns out they're found in the coastal mountains of southeastern Brazil. These plants grow on trees or rocks in habitats that are generally shady with high humidity and can be quite different in appearance from their desert-dwelling cousins. So... How about them cacti? Number one. The Christmas tree. You knew this had to be number one. A Christmas tree will instantly transport your senses to Christmas. The smell of the branches, the look of all those decorations, the feel of the needles, the sound of, uh, and the taste, uh... Okay, well, three out of five senses ain't bad. But that's my list. Did I forget any Christmas plants? Let me know at christmas at tancast.com. Speaking of hearing from you, a couple of you had things to say about our April show, so it's time for feedback from our last show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. Feedback on our last show. So this first bit of feedback is a response to some previous feedback. Oh no, it's a it's a feedback loop! Ah! Stop it! Fine. Anyway, last time listener Marianne talked about how she had a Christmas-themed wedding, and I mentioned how cool an idea that was. Well, Shannon heard that and left this comment on Facebook. Hey, wanted to chime in and say we had a Christmas wedding too. December 22nd, 2001. We were super poor, so mostly that meant taking advantage of the Christmas decorations already up at the hotel where we got married. The Mount Charleston Lodge at Mount Charleston, a genuine mountain about 35 minutes outside of Las Vegas. It even snows there in the winter. But we also had little touches like candles and butcher paper and red and green M&Ms on each table. And our band, which was two of my father-in-law's music students from UNLV, played mostly Christmas music at the reception. It was awesome. To this day, I think of Christmas Time is Here from Charlie Brown Christmas as our wedding song. Smiley face. Thanks, Shannon. And you've made me think of a great future Five Golden Things idea. Most romantic Christmas songs to have as a wedding song. Christmas Time is Here is a good one, but there are plenty of Christmas songs about love that would be a great pick, too. I'll get my team working on that right away. You don't have a team. It's just you, Christmas boy. Right. I need to get a team. Well, before that, I need to get to the next comment. This one was left by Brian on the website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. The last Five Golden Things segment was me telling Christmas jokes to my two boys. So Brian had this one to add. He says, Okay, try this one on your kids. So many kids to deliver presents to. Where does Santa go to the bathroom while delivering all those presents on Christmas Eve? On Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer and Vixen, on Comet and Cupid, and Donder and Blitzen. 
Come on, kids love bathroom humor. Winky face. Now, aside from that being kind of gross, I can't figure out the physics of how that would work. The reindeer are in front of him. How would he be able to... It's a joke! It's just a play on words! I thought you were a comedian, for heaven's sake! You are in a mood today, sir. Let's keep the feedback train rolling along towards the North Pole, but let's open it up to more general thoughts as we pull some magic out of Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you. Or tweets. Or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. About this time last year, we heard from Rachel. As luck would have it, she has written in again. Hello, Tim. I'm writing you again this year about Leon Day. Last year, my family was on vacation, and I made them each a Leon Day goodie bag to enjoy on their drive home. This year, we'll be at home, and I hesitantly suggested that we have a Christmas-themed picnic for Leon Day. I probably shouldn't be so surprised, but my family jumped on the idea like Santa jumping on a plate of cookies. We have plans to pull out a few Christmas decorations, like my inflatable Santa hat wearing T-Rex, some lights, and we'll probably decorate a tree. Which tree? I'm not sure. My mom's ornamental plant that kind of looks like a palm tree? We'll figure that out later. Also, we're planning a gift exchange. We drew names, so each person brings one gift for the person they picked. I decided to involve my two young nieces as well because I made one rule for the exchange. You're not allowed to spend money. This could be a good exercise for all involved to figure out how to give a little of themselves. We all have different talents, and I'm confident they'll all figure out something to give. Some members of my family are chefs, some are musically inclined, some like to paint fingernails, some are precision machinists, and some are mighty gardeners. Though this is the first time we've done this as a family, it seems I've accidentally created a new tradition. Happy Leon Day to you and yours and all the waiters. Sincerely, Rachel M. What a great idea. A Leon Day picnic sounds like a great tradition to start. And what a great concept about giving something without spending money. I can't wait to hear how this all turns out. Thanks, Rachel. In case everybody wasn't aware, Leon Day is June 25th and is the halfway point because there's only six months left until Christmas after that. So it's Leon Day, which is Noel spelled backwards. I know you probably know that, but what if you didn't and you felt left out? I would feel bad. So now I'm explaining it. But let's move on to our feature segment, which this time we're calling Chris Mystery Solvers. Chris Mystery Solvers. Why do we kiss under the mistletoe? Chris Mystery Solvers. Where is Santa's workshop? Chris Mystery Solvers. Is anybody going to eat this fruitcake? Chris Mystery Solvers. On tonight's episode, we try to understand how a pious priest from Turkey, who had no particular connection to Christmas, became a magical toy maker who lives in the North Pole and is synonymous with the holiday. How did St. Nick become Santa Claus? I've heard many theories on this. One my mom loves to tell me that her dad used to tell her was that the Italian missionaries had a hard time pronouncing St. Nicholas. They would pronounce it St. Nicholas. Saint Nicholas, hey, we talking about Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas, Santa Claus, and that's how we got there. Seems a little weak to me, but it's a funny story. Then there's my theory that Saint Nick is just Santa Claus's Clark Kent. Think about it. He spends his days among the people hiding his true identity. He has a secret home in the North Pole, a costume with a lot of red on it, and he flies all around the world at super speeds. Santa Claus is the original Superman. As airtight as my theory was, I decided to do something radical. Research. That's right. I started where St. Nicholas was from, Myra, or what is present day, Turkey. It is believed he passed away on December 6th, so in remembrance, St. Nicholas Day is on that day. As Christianity spread, so did tales of St. Nicholas, to the point where a city in Italy stole St. Nicholas's bones from Myra and built a whole church about being the final resting place of St. Nicholas. But later, the folks from Myra insisted that the Italians didn't actually get St. Nicholas's bones and they still had them. 
So now both of them are claiming to be the final resting place of St. Nicholas. But wait, if neither one is for sure the place where St. Nicholas's final resting place is, is it possible that neither one is the final resting place of St. Nicholas? Just gotta read between the lines and see that perhaps St. Nicholas faked his death, moved to the North Pole, and set up a new identity as Santa Claus. Ha! Did I just blow your mind? No. Okay, well, he actually didn't move to the North Pole yet. He moved to Spain, probably shortly after the Spanish had taken control of the Netherlands. What? Let's keep following the evidence. So as I said, as Christianity spread, so too did the celebrations of St. Nicholas Day, especially in the Netherlands, where he was referred to as Sinterklaas. Mm-hmm. And each year, Sinterklaas would come from Spain on his name day and bring children gifts if he ascertained that they were behaving well. We're getting closer, but so far he has nothing to do with Christmas, doesn't live in the North Pole, and doesn't have any reindeer. St. Nick's true transformation to his new identity happened an ocean away in America. Because of course it did. U.S.A. 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 Would you stop it? There are six Americans most responsible for the final transformation of St. Nick to the Santa Claus we know today. Let's meet the suspects. John Pinter. Washington Irving. William Guiley. Clement Clark Moore. Thomas Nast. And Haydon Sunblom. Let's break them down one by one. John Pintard was the first secretary of the New York Historical Society. Now remember, old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way? But the point is, New York has rich Dutch roots. Pintard knew this and recognized St. Nicholas as an important piece of Dutch heritage. So, starting in 1810, the society held an annual St. Nicholas Day dinner on December 6th. Another known associate of the New York Historical Society was Washington Irving, wildly popular American author and our next suspect. In 1809, he published A History of New York. In it, he described the festivities surrounding St. Nicholas Day and told of St. Nick flying over trees and popping down chimneys to deliver presents. He made it seem like it was a long-standing tradition reaching back to the celebrations in the Netherlands, but this is the first record of such activity from St. Nick. Then, in 1821, William Guiley writes a poem called The Children. In it, he describes a character named Old Santa Claus. You can't tell when I'm saying it, it's all one word. But it's clearly a modification of the Dutch Sinterklaas. And this Santa Claus would bring the children gifts, but not on St. Nicholas Day, but on Christmas. Possibly an amalgamation of a German tradition where the Christ child was said to bring children gifts on Christmas, rather than the Germans celebrating St. Nicholas Day. Then we come to Clement Clark Moore and his poem... A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known as The Night Before Christmas, which seemingly took inspiration from both Guiley and Irving. Now, we did a whole feature on this in a past episode, but this poem was hugely popular and added four important things to St. Nick's new identity. It cemented his association with Christmas. It established his new look as a jolly bearded fat man. It established his ride was a sleigh, and it established that he had eight magical flying reindeer. Then there's Thomas Nast, a cartoonist for Harper's Ferry magazine. Year after year, Nast would create illustrations of Santa Claus, letting slip more secrets of his new identity. His North Pole headquarters that made toys, his elf assistants, his letters from children, lists with children's names, and even the snacks left out for him by the tree. Finally, we come to artist Haydon Sundblom. 
He is often credited with creating the look of Santa, but he merely built upon the work that was done before him. When he was hired by Coca-Cola, his images of Santa would spread far and wide and cement the image of Saint Nick's new identity. Red suit, red hat, white fur. The transformation was now complete and revealed to the world. And that's how Saint Nick became Santa. If you'd like to read more about St. Nick and Santa, check out your local library. They've got all sorts of great books like Christmas, A Candid History by Bruce David Forbes, where I stole, I mean, researched all the content for this feature segment. And that's all for this edition of Christmas Mystery Solvers. Join us next time when I try to find out, where did my appendix go? I swear it was right here like a week ago. Oh well. Now that we know how Nick became Santa, it's time to find out how a bunch of nonsense becomes holiday entertainment in our next segment, all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. So a few days ago, I reached out to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the following. A type of TV show. Big city. Adjective. Place. Type of house. Illness or injury. Relative. Adjective. Verb. And even though it was last minute, you guys came through with a kid's game show, Bangkok, Fluffy, Iceland, Tent, Appendicitis, that was a popular choice, by the way. Well played, waiters. Second cousin twice removed, Mary, and slaps. And now we insert them into our template, and we get a Christmas movie called A Christmas Appendectomy. Megan, an emerging children's game show host in Bangkok, is having a meltdown on the set of her game show. Desperate for a break from the fluffiness of her success, she takes a spur-of-the-moment vacation to a remote Iceland town. On the way to her tent, she crashes and suffers appendicitis. A kindly man with young children, Blake, still grieving for his dead second cousin twice removed, takes a dazed Megan to his home, and they wind up having merry and healing holiday experiences that both slaps and heals them all. Thanks to Daniel, Brian, Stephanie, Clinton, Paul, Janelle, Megan, Leslie, Todd, Stacy, Sherry, Jennifer, Michelle, Rachel from Twitter, Tom, Michael, Blake, Chad, and Rachel from Instagram for submitting words to help out our story. If you'd like to be like them, you can follow us on Twitter at ChristmasPod, Facebook, Can't Wait for Christmas Pod, and Instagram, Can't Wait for Christmas Pod, and chime in with your suggestions the next time we go looking for all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. Now it's time for a little musical melee. It's time for Who Sang It Best. This time I'm picking a song that definitely belonged on one of those high five lists I did earlier this year of non-Christmas songs that have sort of been absorbed by Christmas. I meant to include it both times I did those lists, but somehow I left it off. So now we can enjoy two versions of it. The song is Children, Go Where I Send Thee. It's an old Negro spiritual that has become associated with Christmas. But for a twist, we're going to hear two country and western legends sing their versions of it. So, let's meet our contestants. In the red corner, we have the man with the beard, Kenny Rogers, with Home Free. Children, go where I send thee. How shall I send thee? I'm going to send you six by six. Six foot six, that could get fixed. Five for the gospel, preacher. For the preacher, for the stood at the door. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for Paul and Silas. One for the little bitty baby. Born of the virgin. corner it's the man in black johnny cash children go where i send thee lewis how shall i send thee i'm gonna send thee seven to seven seven by seven that went on the hill
by the little bitty baby who was born, born, born in Bethlehem. You can hear the full versions of each song at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, cast your vote. You can vote once a day, every day. We'll announce the winner on our June 25th show. So don't delay. Vote today and tell us who sang it best. And that's our show. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a holly jolly time. Enjoy the rest of your spring. But the next time we talk, it will be summer. In fact, it will be Leon Day. So be like Rachel and plan your picnics now. But if you haven't got enough Tim Bab, the Mousetalgia podcast recently celebrated its 500th episode and they had me on as a guest. So you can type Mousetalgia into your favorite podcast finder right now and go listen to that awesome episode. In the meantime, I'm going to go find some North Pole snow to pack on my appendectomy scar. So until next time, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2018. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at christmaspod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, yeah. The most romantic Christmas plan, baby. As in, plant a kiss on me. Oh, sorry, I can't, okay. I almost did a double baby. You can only do one baby, baby. You can't be all these baby, baby. Otherwise, you start sounding like that uh, James Brown song. Baby, 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 baby. Yeah. On tonight's episode, we try to understand how a pious priest from Turkey, who had no particular connection to Christmas, became a magical toy maker who lives in the North Pole and is synonymous, synonymous, do-do-do-do-do-do. Synonymous. Flub. But later, the Marian, the Marian, the Marian, the people from Myra insisted that not. We got it, everybody. We got, we're shutting it down. I don't think we have any more to record. Okay, shut it down. Wait, wait, I forgot something. Too late. I'm about to hit.